Ava Boys Podcast, where your voice is more than a melody. Join us in planting seeds in a growing field. As two female music therapists, Kim and I have noticed the prominence of women in music therapy and are curious to hear from some of the men in the field. In this special two-part episode of the Able Voice podcast, we've invited five male music therapists to share about their experiences as male-identifying individuals within the field. Today, we are joined by Stephen Talk and Daniel Robinson to kickstart the conversation. Stephen Talk is a certified music therapist and a registered psychotherapist qualifying, practicing in the Kitchener-Waterloo region. He currently provides services at Grand River Hospital, works with various music therapy providers in the community, and maintains a teaching and therapy space at the Beckett School at Laurier. He holds a Bachelor of Music in Piano and Voice Performance from West Virginia University, a Master of Music in Collaborative Piano from Bowling Green State University, and a Master of Music Therapy from Wilfrid Laurier University. With over a decade of experience inspiring change through music education in the United States and Malaysia, Stephen now uses music as a therapeutic tool for mental health and inner well-being. He is in the process of completing his advanced training in the Bonnie Method of Guided Imagery and Music, a psychotherapeutic modality that offers lasting, transformative change by nurturing inner growth and strength, redefining life after trauma and loss, inspiring creativity and expression, and promoting holistic well-being. Daniel Robinson, RPQ, MMT, is a psychotherapist at Toronto Grace Health Centre. Trained in cognitive behavioural therapy, music-centred psychotherapy, mindfulness and grief therapy, Daniel provides psychosocial support to patients and caregivers in complex continuing care, COVID, palliative care, and acute rehabilitation units. Daniel has worked with multiple organizations to create anti-oppressive music education opportunities for Indigenous communities, transgender individuals, and low-income communities. He is also a sessional lecturer for Ryerson University's Chang School of Continuing Education. Thank you so much, Stephen and Dan, for sharing your experiences and thoughts with us today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Able Voice Podcast with Kim and Haley. Hello. For this first part of our conversation today, we are so excited to be joined by Stephen Talk and Dan Robinson. So welcome to the both of you. We like to start off each of our conversations by finding out a little bit about our journeys to music therapy. So we wondered if you could start by sharing us what has been your journey to becoming a practicing music therapist? And perhaps we'll start with Stephen. First of all, thank you for inviting me to be a part of this uh, podcast. Uh, my journey to music therapy has been an interesting one. Um, it started off being really connected with music as a young child. My parents sent me to, to music lessons, piano lessons specifically, and it was just a really safe space and creative space for me to engage with myself, my emotions and expressing and learning about me. And over time, I decided to go into music education, I started working in the community. And basically, I wanted to share what I had found in music and through music with others. Yeah. And over time, I, I spent about 10, 10 to 15 years just teaching music and I encountered students with special needs, 
Um, and I also worked with youth um, in the community who were at risk, underprivileged people from the welfare uh, system. And I just, over time, just felt that I wasn't fully equipped in kind of supporting them and meeting their needs. So that's where I decided to, to put my teaching on pause and go back to school to be trained as a therapist so that I can do what I in initially set out to do, to share my passion for, for music and what I've gained through music um, with other people. So that's my story in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. Wow. Did you have a, a, a private music studio or were you working in the school system? I was working in various kind of segments in society. So I was teaching part-time at a college and a university level um, setting. I was also teaching in a community music school and also at a kind of nonprofit organization that sought to provide creative arts classes to children from orphanages and the welfare system. Uh, yeah, I kind of did a bunch of, <laughs> yeah, patchwork of, of music-related uh, uh, work. Wow, yeah. That's a common story that we hear is the switch or not necessarily a switch because there are a lot of overlapping skills between education and therapy. And so making that sort of transition of focus, I suppose, from from education to therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say so, too. Yeah, I think that's that's really cool. I didn't know that. I wondered, actually, you mentioned that you were wanting to like beef up your skills or really be able to have that knowledge to do, like you said, what it is you're actually doing, which is what brought you to the world of music therapy. Did you know about music therapy or how did that transition come about to get you into your programming? Um, I, yeah, I, I always knew about music therapy. When I was finishing up my high school education, I was like, just like everyone else trying to figure out what, what my next step would be. And all I knew at that point was that I'd like to do something related to music. So I began doing all the research, music education, music performance, and then music therapy. So, so I knew all of that. But at that point in my life, I didn't have schools in my region that provided music therapy. So the only option for me was to go through the music performance route. So I spent that part of my life uh, immersed in your words, beefing up my musical skills, which ultimately has uh, served me well so far with that music knowledge, being able to then apply it to music therapy. Yeah, I, I think that's very, very true. The starting with the musical background, I mean, as music therapists, it's really important for us to have those strong musical skills. So I love hearing the different journeys to becoming a therapist and how it really impacts the way that we approach the work, for sure. Yeah, Thanks for definitely. Sharing. No, not a problem. How about you, Dan? What brought you to the world of music therapy? Oh, gosh. Um, so I'm, there's going to be a lot of overlapping what Stephen said in terms of having like a very musical childhood and being engaged in music from a young age. And, and also what Stephen said about kind of discovering music therapy and knowing about it at the end of high school, um, but then ultimately deciding not, not to pursue it, which is, which is interesting. 
And then I, I did, I also went into kind of a, a music performance undergraduate and I did a, a minor in, in biology. And for me, it was always trying to merge the two because I think very quickly I found out that I didn't like the culture of like the performative part of music culture. And like, I loved performing and I, and I still do really love performing, but there's just something about like that industry that that just didn't jive with me. You know, maybe not something like lots, of, <laughs> lots of specific things. Um, but <laughs> and then I, I was really interested in psychology and becoming like a psychologist or psychotherapist and, and, and mental health work. And and through that work and that training, I I really noticed there was like a gap in um, how people who are nonverbal were supported, um, or just people who didn't express emotions or kind of process their emotions in, in ways that were considered kind of normal to the to the psychotherapy world. And it felt like there was almost a toolbox ran out after a certain point. And and if you couldn't, if someone's suffering wasn't kind of packaged in the way we're used to see suffering, it wasn't really acknowledged and so for me music therapy is this okay how can we acknowledge the suffering how can we kind of work with people who don't express themselves and in a way that most of society sees as normal and still support that so i love music therapy for providing me that toolkit of supporting that side of the population as well and so i entered the the workforce in june of this year like (laughs) covid pandemic and like and i and i work in ventilation i work in covid and, and stuff and it's been like and I, I'm there at the hospital as a psychotherapist but what a gift it has been to kind of have my music therapy training in order to provide support for people who who just can't engage in, in verbal psychotherapy and if I went in there and, and try to do that with psychotherapy training it would be completely useless and futile and and I think they would just fall through the cracks. Wow yeah absolutely it I like that your toolbox kind of ran out at a certain point and that's what led you to the the realm of music therapy to really support, like you said, those individuals who can't engage the same way or whose suffering doesn't align with what we, we typically see um, if we're looking, <laughs> if we're looking in that quote norm of, yeah, of challenger struggle. So I think that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story. Sure. It's, it's interesting that, your stories kind of do overlap in that there you came to a point where you felt like you needed to add to your toolbox. Even though you had heard about music therapy, you know, it wasn't something that you chose to pursue. And then eventually, full circle comes back around into your life and you decide that it's something that you want to add to your clinical toolbox. And this is something that I've, I've heard come up a lot and and I'll say it so that Kim doesn't have to music therapy is a very you know white cis female dominated field and we don't get to hear the perspective of male music therapists we don't have the privilege of of having an equal cohort within our university degree programs and I'm wondering if either of you have any inklings as to why that disparity exists why it's such an uneven balance of you know males wanting to apply or male identifying individuals wanting to apply to music therapy programs what do you think the barriers are to that as the profession exists at the moment so for me when I'm kind of thinking okay what were the barriers to me engaging in music therapy like right out of high school and I think for me and I'm sure my gender identity had something to do with it in some place, but I, I don't think I'm in the place right now to, to fully know what that is or label it. Um, but for me, it's I did a, a co-op in music therapy in high school, 
And I was just emotionally overwhelmed by the entire process. I was like, God help me, I cannot do this right now. Like, I'm just not mature enough to be able to handle this this kind of thing. And in witnessing this amount of suffering, constantly not really being able to fix it. And and that that, that for me, that age was, was something I was really struggling with. So I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll revisit it. And so I, I decided to not go into music therapy, I think, because I didn't feel I was ready for it. And, and there wasn't really a, a gender part of it. But I'm, I, maybe Stephen can speak of this more because I, I didn't feel when I was applying to music therapy that there was any barriers because I was male identifying at all. And and it's like such a when you when you approached me about this podcast and we're saying, OK, we're going to talk about being a male music therapist and weirdly i had never thought of it which i think again it just speaks to the huge privilege of of like male hetero or not heteronormative but being a man um and i so for me like being a male music therapist it, it wasn't something i really thought about which feels like i'm i just feel bad that i'm not really able to contribute to this conversation about barriers that were put into me being a male but i feel it just again speaks to at least my experience of, of privilege of being a man and that i never really was forced to examine my malehood in this profession up until now whereas it sounds like and i don't know that that often for for non-binary genders and and for female identifying genders, that that acknowledgement of gender is such a huge part of the process, just speaks to again the the privilege that I have based on my gender identity. Well, thanks, Dan, for for sharing that. Um, I I wanted to kind of follow up by saying that I think it's a the issue changes depending on on where you're situated in terms of region, in terms of um, the culture there, and, and and of course the country. And I I grew up in in Malaysia um, in an Asian kind of a culture, and it yeah I would say personally there there were perhaps yeah there there were barriers for me even entering just a general field of music. So those barriers were not directly from from people, um, but maybe indirectly from what culture kind of cultivates in you as you're growing up, how you're brought up, how you see the world. And so this has been something that that has been um, on my mind, you know, throughout my my music education and my career in music and then going into music therapy. So so it has been on on my mind this whole time. But interestingly enough, as I now, as I have, you know, ventured into music therapy, I have been surprised to see how welcoming it is, or at least it seems, for people to to accept me as a male um, therapist. Sometimes I think going into teaching how parents would feel if they're comfortable with me being a male teacher with their young child. In therapy situations, um, I I remember one of my internships was, was at a uh, women's shelter, and the first thought when I was assigned to that particular internship site, I was thinking in my mind, "Wow, I'm 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 you know I'm honored to be you know accepted to to work at this this place," but in my mind, I was thinking, "How am I going to be accepted by the women there, who?" Oftentimes, if not 
all the time um, have gone through some form of trauma involving a male. Um, so, so these things are, are usually on my mind when I, when I meet with clients. But yeah, surprisingly, it has not been a huge problem. And perhaps it speaks to the special quality that music therapy brings, that music brings. Music breaks barriers. Um, and music therapy, compared to other conventional therapeutic modalities, tends to be very humanistic, uh, tends to be very client-centered. And so a lot of us as music therapists, we, we are trained to really meet people where they are, no matter who they are. Just because I, I think the, the concept of shared experience comes up a lot in, in, in therapy work. And, and when I hear you talking about entering a women's shelter and feeling that kind of disconnect between shared experience and how you navigate that. And, and I can imagine this is something that's, that's felt by any therapist going to a situation and, and feeling a slight disconnect between experience. But I, I'm just curious on your thoughts on on how that differs. And, and Haley and Kim, if you, if you want to pop in here too, between different gender identities. Because sometimes when I when I talk to my female and non-binary colleagues, that, that idea of questioning shared experience and kind of, okay, do I have a place here? is something that is just a constant like it's just a constant questioning and it's and i and i don't know and i've definitely done it but then when i when i hear my colleagues speak about sorry i definitely felt that disconnect and question my my value in being there and if if it's if i deserve a place here when i talk to my colleagues it seems like this is just constant like it's it's never stopping um and and I definitely question my worth and value for my race and my sexuality, but interestingly, my gender, I, I, I don't know, I don't question as much. Um, so I'm just curious on your thoughts, kind of comparing that questioning of shared experience and, and value to to hold a space when you compare it to to men and, and non-binary and female genders. Just a, a light, casual question for a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's good. I'm glad that you jumped in with that question because I think it gives us lots to think about. I don't know, for for me specifically in terms of the um the questioning like I think you said what what is my place here or where is my place here? I think that that's a very very important question that we do need to ask ourselves frequently and I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it differs between gender and um, like, like you said, ethnicity and sexuality, because I don't have as much experience in that realm or perhaps haven't given enough self-reflection. So I think maybe that's something I will do after we finish this conversation today. But in general, I think that, like you said, it's something that comes up frequently because I mean, we're therapists. We come from this, this mentality of, okay, how am I walking into your journey, into your life? And so I think that, Stephen, you, you kind of mentioned this hesitation of like, okay, I'm going to be working with mostly women who perhaps their their oppression or their issues come from men. And so there could be, yeah, there's there could be some issues there. But I, I kind of think that there's also some power there in, in reframing those relationships. And so that's often what informs my mindset is, is not as much how am I, Kim, 
white female Canadian woman walking into this session to like be on par with them because I'm not, we're different, we're diverse, we have different things going on in our lives, but how can my experience support and validate and, and meet them where they're at and coming, yeah, coming from that realm. And also just, I try to preface myself a lot with the concept of therapy isn't for everyone. And me as a therapist is not for everyone, because I think sometimes, sometimes we forget that and we want to be our best and we want to be the right fit. And we want to work with these people and support them. And sometimes someone needs someone that they can visibly relate to more uh, easily. And sometimes they need someone that shows diversity or can challenge um, their experience. So, yeah. Yeah. And just to build off of that, I think that what makes a good therapist is, is the fact that we can be self-aware to the human experience. And I think that now all of these conversations that are coming up of being even more tuned to how somebody's identity relates or can be supported within the therapy setting. And so that's causing a lot of reflection on the therapist end where I don't necessarily feel like it's been happening before in in this amount of like vigor and and or rigor and um and so I am I'm really happy that we're having these conversations because I think that it's important for us to to constantly think about that but also um realize that we we have something unique in this medium that we're coming to therapy with. It's something that, like Steven said, it, it's something that can support. And, and Dan, you even said, like, it's something that can support even without words. And sometimes that can be a barrier as well. Language, all of these things play into, you know, that kind of power dynamic that exists. Kim and I are so excited to introduce Synergy Music Therapy and Wellness Services, conveniently offering in-person and online session options with your health and accessibility needs in mind. We are pleased to serve two beautiful communities with a location in Bermuda with Haley and in Kingston, Ontario in Canada with Kimberly. Our programs are wide-ranging and individually designed to meet your specific needs in one-to-one -one and group settings. We are an inclusive service that operates on five core pillars, accessibility of our services, resources, marketing, and all elements of Synergy, advocacy for music therapy and the stories of its people, building collaborative relationships within our communities and those we work with, improving clinical standardization within the field of music therapy, and creating space for self-exploration. Visit us on social media at Synergy Music Therapy and www.synergymusictherapy.com or email us at contactsynergymt at gmail.com to learn more. Now back to the episode. It, it's interesting as you were talking, Stephen, about, um, you know, coming into these spaces and, and working with women, I really started to reflect on, on who I have within my caseload and, and, and throughout my, my career now. It has been mostly women that I have worked with and maybe a handful of men. And I get really excited when I get men in, in like my therapy groups and sessions because it's just like it's such a different energy and a different experience and a different way of connecting with somebody in a, in a completely different lens. And I feel like every single interaction I have is like like that but I don't know why it's it's 
a, a special experience for me. Maybe that's something I need to reflect on a little bit more. But I, I'm wondering, just as we're talking about barriers, the idea of therapy in general, I feel like it might have a little bit of a stigma to it, whereby women are more likely to sign up for therapy. Women are more likely, or female identifying individuals are more likely to to sign up for therapy, to come to therapy, to ask for therapy. And I wonder if that has anything to do with, and and you might not be able to answer this question because it's really general, but it, you know, it maybe that is something that is it creates this barrier of why there's such a a huge amount of women or female identifying music therapists working in this profession because that, you know, when we look at the client ratio that's who like that that's who's coming to therapy um and maybe that's uh, that's a reason i don't know um so i'll respond to that <clears throat> but i also wanted to respond to something that dan also brought up so so i wanted to to respond to the the question or the the conversation regarding male identifying therapists in the therapeutic space and and what their you know what their value is there and Kim, you said that there's there's some power there, um, and I I I get that you don't mean it in a you know in a negative way. You know the power imbalance and all that, but yes, there is something significant, especially for uh, when um, in situations when you have a male therapist and when you have uh, perhaps women who have experienced uh, a trauma or or some. Um, issue in their life that is uh, related to experiences with with a male because in this space now in therapy and therapy is all about you know healing and growth and getting through um, a difficult kind of situation in life that male therapist has now the opportunity to reframe perhaps a negative relationship with with men with males and so that that I think is really significant. That that is that the the power of a male identifying therapist in that situation. Of course, um, it has to be you know someone who approaches the situation with with care and sensitivity. But there's so much opportunity for for growth and healing in in that uh, space. And for you know therapists who are who identify um, as queer, we have this unique position to kind of straddle like both worlds if we are thinking of, of the heteronormative um, kind of worldview. It's, it's being able to, to see things from, from different perspectives and to, to support clients in that way. So that was what I wanted to respond to. And then I think that issue of uh, stigma with mental health um, is prevalent among males, not just mental health, but in, but music in general. Um, so going into music education, that was, that was a barrier for me, telling my parents that I wanted to pursue a career in music. Um, 
that, that was a difficult conversation to have. That was a kind of a journey for them to eventually accept that. And I can only kind of imagine for males, it's so, it's so difficult to know how to frame this male identifying or, 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 or men. Um, but yeah, that stigma for, for them to not only seek uh, mental health support, but also engage in music, which is more creative and, and even more out of the norm. Um, I think that there's, um, there's a stigma there and there's a barrier there. Oh, I have so many thoughts. I have so many thoughts and I don't want this conversation to go on forever. But <laughs> you, you, you bring up another, another observation of mine is that, you know, in my culture, so I grew up in Bermuda, and that was very much the case for 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 me as well. I think it was more acceptable for me as a female to apply to a music music degree program in some higher education. But in terms of like the heteronormative expectation of the male gender role in society, I I feel like you know music is kind of like this flimsy. You know, we often have this connotation of creative fields not having stability and and in the, you know, heteronormative gender role of a male, they're supposed to be the ones who provide stability for the family and all of these kinds of things. So I think that's very interesting that you brought up that thought. Mm-hmm. Kim, when you mentioned power, I think that... Not that that is necessarily something that's different um, for all male identifying therapists and men in general, uh, but I, I do think there are some aspects of it that you have to have to that we all as, as men and male identifying therapists and everyone in general have to consider. Because I remember uh, working with a female victim of trauma, and I was really nervous about it because of this like the lack of shared experience and then like that there was this power dynamic and everything and I felt everything was just destabilized and it was all over the map and I had a colleague who told me he was like oh yeah that's that's too bad it's unstabilizing for you uh, <laughs> as in like it just really it, it, it really kicked me out of it for a second because of, of course we need to validate those feelings of instability and validate the feelings that people in power feel when they feel unstable because research shows us that as soon as you devalidate those, then backs get up and you can't really bridge that gap. But for me, it's, it, was, it was a really good learning experience. And okay, there's, there's so much stability that I take for granted in my life because of my gender identity. And like I, I now really try to go into this work and, and acknowledging the power that I have in it and then kind of embracing the instability that that comes with it. And of course, every single therapist needs to do this at a certain point in, in different dynamics. But when there's a, a gender that just seems to have all this intrinsic power just because of this part of their identity, I think embracing instability when you start to kind of feel it tearing away is, is a hugely important thing as a some I hate this word but male therapist <laughs> whatever that is to, to just really group people uh, but but you folks know what I'm saying and then just quickly about this idea of female identifying therapists like really kind of uh, make up the majority of clinical providers and that how maybe there's a stigma that exists for for men to really resist seeking therapy 
Um, and I'd be curious, I, I'm going to be looking up research about this after this meeting, but um, if as, as more men and male-identifying therapists start to get involved in therapy, and this is true for non-binary ther- uh, therapists as well, if people that identify with those genders will start to be more open to it, because I think for me originally, I would think about this like, oh, okay, well, if it's just white hetero women that want therapy, then okay, then it's fine that only white hetero women are supplying the therapy. But maybe it's it's because when they're seeking help, they don't see anyone that has that shared experience with them. And so if we can, and I think Stephen was touching on this before, if we can start kind of that top-down approach of providing the services to and the people who provide the services are coming from all these diverse perspectives, then it might open the gates where it will help break down that stigma. I'm sorry, I don't have an answer to the lovely culture question that was posed. I need to think about that more. That's okay. I think there's so much that we've we've touched on in this conversation that, I mean, we could go on for hours to come. And I, I don't think we'll have all the answers after these conversations. And that certainly wasn't the the intention by any means. Really, this conversation or this question came from Haley and I observing as as that work has come up a few times, but observing our field and making note of the yeah, the the people that we see practicing. And I think what you're really talking about there, Dan, is that representation, which is so important in the field. And like you said, if if you aren't seeing someone that you connect with and you're looking to go to therapy and it's as we've mentioned, white female individuals, and you don't identify with that, or you don't feel safe or comfortable yet, dependent on on why you're coming to therapy. Yeah, that's probably a barrier for people, for sure. So I find that very interesting. And yeah, one small tangent here before I, I lead to my next question. But I know for myself in our field, there have been many times where I have felt kind of this, this, this gap or this, not isolate, well, maybe isolation, but disconnect from other people in my field because there's so far and few music therapists. And so I can imagine that perhaps that would be heightened um, for male music therapists or for others who don't see as high of a representation in, in other therapists. So I'm wondering, we've, like I said, we've talked about a lot, of, a lot of things here and I think there's a lot of room for um, for growth or for continued learning in our field. And I'm wondering what each of you are seeing for the future of our field. What what do you hope for the future of music therapy? I'll, I'll go first. I think, and this is coming from me and my background growing up in, in an Asian uh, country and an Asian culture, Canada is, is so accepting and inclusive of people of all different walks of life. And I, I really see, at least through my lens uh, of living in different countries and going through you know, music education and music therapy, I do see a development and a growth in how music and music therapy has kind of opened up and, and they're more uh, male identifying students uh, and, and therapists, the numbers are just uh, increasing, so that's that's great. But in terms of how I see what I would like to see uh, in music therapy, or what I'd like to see of music therapy, um, is a wider acceptance and recognition of it by other professionals um, in healthcare, 
and by other healthcare providers and insurance providers. That's that's the biggest biggest thing for me. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing that, Stephen. I I very much agree with that sentiment. Um, oh gosh. Okay. So I try to kind of gather my thoughts about this question before it, and I'm still probably going to be a bumbling mess. Um, but because <laughs> it's such a, it is just a a crazy question, <laughs> um, um, but like a very good question for me. I, I agree, and I, I with what Stephen said about that. Like the the more diverse any anything could be, the in my opinion, it's it's going to be better, and and more people feel safer and. And for me, like, that's just, like, the future. Like, I don't even have to put music therapy out there. I just hope the future has that that in it. But, you know, uh, another conversation we had about that. When it comes to the other professionals with their acceptance of music therapy, I, I fully agree. And, and for me, it's – I go back and forth between an acceptance of music therapy or an acceptance of just the use that music can have in different professions – and for me, when I look at the, I'm going to use quotations here, like the field of music therapy, it's just so broad. Like you, you have people working in, in like psychotherapy, mental health, and people working in special education, and people working in, in rehabilitation and that whole neurologic music therapy um, area. And and they're so different. And and the, the populations they serve and the stigmas that exist, if we're just thinking of at least gender for today, in those different areas are so broad so for me I, I hope that first music therapy starts to kind of organize it itself a little bit more <laughs> in, in terms of really acknowledging the difference between these these types of music therapy that are all kind of bundled into one often because I think there is a huge difference between them all and, and that if we want to start talking about diversity and these issues of equity, we need to differentiate different sectors. And then also, I I really hope that rather than it just being kind of, okay, other professions accepting music therapy and music therapists into their field is that there's an an education goes out to, to training those professionals in music. So that if we have, it, and of course, there's there's always, I think, going to be a need for a music therapist or a neurologic music therapist to work in rehab and to provide that guidance and support and expertise. But also, okay, why aren't physiotherapists and speech therapists already trained in, in these things? If they're so valuable, why isn't that part of their training? Um, and, and I'm hoping that, and we, we think of those professions that, I actually don't know the demographic makeup of those professions, but from what I see when I look at physiotherapy, um, it's, there's, seems to be less of like an offset between, between gender representation. Uh, engaging those populations and those educational institutions um, in use of music might be a lovely way to, to bridge that gap. And so if we have a question of just like, what do I hope for the future of music therapy? It's that, that, that yes, there are music therapists that are well-established and they provide like general support and their expertise of, of the power of music. But then it's not just like, okay, music therapy is just for the music therapist. It's okay. Music is, is for anyone to use and it's, it's out there for the population to use. And, 
And I think that will help in the long run because there are communities and there are cultures and there are people that have been using music for therapeutic means forever. Um, and and for this idea of just, okay, only the music therapist, if you're a music therapist, only then is it music therapy, <laughs> um, I think is, is harmful for if we're really trying to to sift through all these discriminatory practices that exist in the profession. So that's that's my bumble of an answer. <laughs> I just want to jump in and, and say that that's a lovely way of putting it. Um, so I use the word wider acceptance and recognition of music therapy. I think you bring up a, a very important point and a subtle difference between that. Um, it's the integration of music therapy with other professionals. And and yeah, that's 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 ultimately the ideal, not just an acceptance and recognition, but then um, an integration or a willingness to work together. Yes, 100%. Thank you both so much for sharing your hopes and everything else that you've shared with us today. It's been a pleasure getting to have this conversation, this small snippet of what I think is a wider conversation to continue to have. So thank you very much for joining us. If if our audience wants to get in touch with you or continue the conversation or um, connect with you in any way, where might they be able to find you? They can find me on Facebook. Um, I do have a page. My handle is at Stephen Talk Music, or you can just search Stephen Talk Music um, on Facebook. So this is where my savviness with technology and social media is just so shown to be so as a as a twenty six year old like it needs to be better. But so I don't I don't have Twitter, don't have Instagram, don't have Facebook. Um, but if you would like to find me, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, I guess. Like I don't know what kind of plug that is, but um, and also you can just you can find me at the hospital at the Toronto Grace Hospital. You can you can get in touch with me there. <laughs> Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so, so much. This is a conversation that we just don't want to end. Luckily, it doesn't have to. Join us next time as we continue the conversation with Joel Klassen, Dan Beaven Baker, and Daniel Allen. In the meantime, let us know what resonated with you. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Able Voice Podcast. If you want to find more content like this, please subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at MTA Haley and at MTA.Kimberly to get notified when new episodes become available.